0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. And what a morning so far, churchy, Right? Amen? I will try not to ruin it (laughs) Uh, for you guys, all right? (laughs) Anyway, if you guys please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your own copy of scripture with you this morning, it's page... 9.59 in the Pew Bible in front of you, 9.59. You know, church, as some of you know, when I was in high school, I had a brief stint in a punk rock band. We were called the Scrooge McDucks. I'm not lying here. It's true. In fact, our one and only live performance was at our high school talent show. And let me tell you something. We brought the house down that day. That's all I'm going to say. But sadly, due to some irreconcilable differences within the band, shortly afterward, we broke up. And consequently, the world was robbed of what could have been countless musical hits. I'm convinced that if the Scrooge McDucks were still around today, we'd be topping the musical charts. We'd be huge in Singapore right now. But nevertheless, the Scrooge McDucks are nothing more than a distant musical memory. However, not all was lost from my time with the band. In fact, being in a band in high school and consequently the praise team taught me uh, some important lessons about teamwork and using your gifts for the benefit of others. You see, individuals within bands are gifted differently, right? Each individual is gifted differently. Some play drums, some play acoustic, some play bass, others play piano, electric guitar, you name it. And when everyone within the band focuses on using their specific gift to the best of their ability, when everyone within the band uh, understands their unique role in the song, when everyone in the band plays their part while at the same time is mindful of other people's parts, that's how music gets made. In other words, to make harmonious music, It takes more than just gathering a bunch of people together and mindlessly strumming or blowing or beating or clanging or breaking out into vocal solos. It takes everyone within the band to have just a basic understanding of musical theory and a willingness to play their part with others. That's the only way to create something beautiful. Simply put, when it comes to a band without synergy, there is no success. Interdependence is vital. Well, in many ways, the same is true when it comes to the church. You see, just as a band cannot function well unless everyone plays their part, neither can a church body. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. You see, church, in God's eyes, every individual member of a church body is an essential instrument, vital to the success of the whole church body. It's for this reason that each one of us needs to identify what instrument we are, and then we need to learn how to play that instrument well. Well, this morning, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we're going to learn more about the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people. And through our study, we're going to be reminded that when everyone within the church body identifies their gift, embraces their gift, and exercises their gift, that's when the church body functions at its healthiest level, and it makes something harmonious and beautiful. So church, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Lord God, it has already been an incredible morning, and we praise you for the baptisms and for our time of worship. And now, God, as we spend some time in your word, I do pray that I would get out of your way, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to your people, and that you would use the power of your word to change our lives and help us to leave here closer to the Lord Jesus than when we arrived. And all God's people said, Amen. So before jumping into today's text, let me just give you a little bit of of quick context if you're just kind of jumping on the journey with us. We've been studying 1 Corinthians for quite a while now. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter basically to deal with worldliness and sin that had entered the church of Corinth. As we've seen throughout the course of our study so far, the Corinthian believers were guilty of uh, causing divisions in the church, sexual immorality, selfishness, drunkenness, idolatry, and pretty much any other sin you could think of. They even found a way, we learned last week, to pervert the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So needless to say, the the church in Corinth was a big, beautiful mess. Well, the next problem that Paul addressed was their gross misuse of spiritual gifts. You see, instead of using their spiritual gifts to build up and unify the church, the Corinthian believers were actually using them to divide the church. Some believers used them for selfish gain. Others use them to claim superiority over their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so once again, the Corinthian believers found a way to blemish what God intended to be a blessing. And so the Apostle Paul, like he's done all throughout the course of this book, set out to correct their faulty behavior. And so with with that being said, let's read the entire passage, just 11 verses this morning in chapter 12, and then we'll break it down. Follow along with me. Paul wrote, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, church, it's important that we begin by distinguishing the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift. Because in reality, both are actually really gifts given to us by God, and they, and they, but they both have important distinctions for the people of God, and there is a difference. I've heard it put this way. A talent is a natural ability or aptitude given by God to a person at birth, a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability given to God at rebirth. What do I mean by that? Well, meaning that a talent can be possessed by anyone, while spiritual gifts can only be possessed by born-again believers in Jesus. And even though talents can and should be used for God's glory and to be a blessing to others, spiritual gifts are specifically given for this purpose. Talents, on the other hand, can be used for non-spiritual gifts purposes. For example, Tim Tebow, talented college quarterback, right? And if he wanted to, he could have used his talents solely for selfish, non-spiritual purposes, as many quarterbacks do. However, because he's a believer, he chose to use his talents as a platform to give God glory. However, this doesn't mean his spiritual gift is quarterbacking, Okay, That's not a spiritual gift. That's a talent. In addition to the talent that Tim Tebow has on the field, God has also given Tim Tebow a specific spiritual gift for the benefit of the church. There's a difference. If you're tracking with me, say I'm tracking with you. Good. So what I've done is I've taken the liberty of breaking down today's passage into four realities to help us better understand the gist of spiritual gifts. Let's begin by looking at the first. Number one, spiritual gifts are given to God's people, to God's people. Look again at verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now church, if you're like me, uh, then almost every week in the mail, you receive solicitations from credit card companies, insurance companies, finance companies, and utility companies. And every single one of them are sent with the exact same purpose. They want your business. They want you to align with them. And many of these companies will offer incentives to kind of sweeten the deal. And these incentives are often in the form of getting cash back or bonus points or free gifts. Now, if you want to receive the gift, then you need to agree to their terms and conditions, right? In other words, if you want the benefits, you got to buy into what they're selling. Well, when it comes to receiving spiritual gifts, the same general principle applies. Spiritual gifts are only given to those who align themselves with the Lord. They're only given to those who agree to God's terms and conditions. In other words, they're only given to believers in Jesus. By its very nature, you cannot possess a spiritual gift if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul begins by reminding the Corinthian believers of this reality. Before getting into his lengthy discussion on the matter, which quite honestly is going to take up several chapters, he reminded the Corinthian believers of their former way of life. You see, before they were saved, they were without the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they were led astray and they were worshiping powerless idols. You see, without the Holy Spirit, they lacked the spiritual discernment to see through the charade. However, once they came to faith in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, everything changed. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So Paul's point was that since they had the Holy Spirit, the Corinthian believers had the supernatural power to renounce their former way of life and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And consequently, they had the power to live their lives for the Lord and under the Holy Spirit's control. And so all this to say, when it comes to living for the Lord, especially in the context of receiving and using your spiritual gifts, you must be someone who proclaims Jesus is Lord. Simply put, you must be a believer to be a receiver. Make sense? Let's go to the next reality. Spiritual gifts are given by God's Spirit. By God's Spirit. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You know, in his poem called The Task, 18th century poet William Cowper wrote, Variety is the very spice of life that gives it all its flavor. And it's from this phrase that we get the modern expression, variety is the spice of life. Well, as it turns out, this phrase could actually be re- reworded to say variety is a very spice of the church that gives it all its flavor. Because Paul begins by saying that in the church there's varieties of gifts. He starts by saying gifts. Now, that word gift means grace or free gift. And in this context, he's making a direct reference to the spiritual gifts that God gives to his people. More on this a little bit later. Next, he says there's varieties of service. And that word service means ministry. In other words, within any given local church, there's a variety of ministries that provide opportunities for God's people to use their spiritual gifts. And then third, Paul says there's varieties of activities. And the word activities is a reference to the effects or the workings of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the fruit. It's the results of someone's ministry. Within any given local church the Holy Spirit will manifest himself differently in different ministries, and the fruit's going to look different depending on which ministry you're serving in, and that's God's business, not ours. Now, even though there's great varieties of functions within the church, Paul emphasized that they all come from the same source, God. They all come from God. Dr. Thomas Constable notes, it is God who is responsible for our abilities, for our opportunities of service, and the individual ways in which we minister, including the results. It's all on God. And church, this is an important distinction. Why? Why? Because if we lose sight of the fact that our spiritual gifts come from God and God alone, then we're at risk of propping ourselves up on a pedestal. We're at risk of making ourselves all that in a bag of chips. We're at risk of stealing God's glory for ourselves. And in God's eyes, that's a You don't do that. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. So we can't do that. You see, the Corinthian believers were guilty of robbing God of his glory. Some were even boasting in their spiritual gifting, taking credit for something they had absolutely no control over whatsoever. It was the height of arrogance and ignorance. You see, church, as believers... Listen to me, as believers, we, we need to treat our spiritual gifts, whatever they might be, the same way we treat our salvation. We need to remember that our own efforts had nothing to do with it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a what? Gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We've got to treat our spiritual gifts the same way. You see, in boasting uh, in their spiritual gifting, the Corinthian believers, they were causing rivalries and division and disunity in their church, which of course is the complete opposite effect that spiritual gifts are supposed to have on God's people. And this brings us to the third reality. Spiritual gifts are given for God's glory, for God's glory. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Common good. So, Uh, During John F. Kennedy's inaugural address, he inspired children and adults of the importance of civic action and public service. Most of you are gonna know his, his historic words, right? Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Church, every single one of us wants to, or maybe I shouldn't make that assumption, you should want to be a contributing member of society, right? In other words, we should all desire to give back and not just take. We should desire to be a blessing to those around us. Well, in many ways, that's the significance or purpose of spiritual gifts. They help us give back and be contributing members to the church, which in turn gives God glory. Now, that word manifestation means to make something evident or obvious, the words common good stem, stem from the Greek word meaning to bring together. So when you put it all together, when, when every believer uses their spiritual gift in an appropriate manner, it makes evident God's active presence on earth. Kind of like that testimony we heard earlier from the baptism when, when he went up forward and those people were praying. And he's like, wow, I could see Jesus now, right? People can see Jesus when we're exercising our spiritual gifts. And likewise it brings the church together in a way that's mutually encouraging and beneficial. How many of you guys want to be mutually encouraged and benefited? Say I do. You see, the problem with the Corinthian church was that they were anything but mutually encouraging and beneficial. You know, on, on a sidebar, whenever I'm struggling with like whatever's happening here, I always go back to Corinth. It makes me feel better about myself as a pastor. But anyway, <laughs> wasn't that bad. It might be bad, but ain't that bad. But anyway, the problem with the Corinthian church, they were anything but mutually encouraging. And beneficial. You see, they were supposed to be operating like an orchestra, right? They were supposed to be operating like an orchestra. They were supposed to work together and use their individual gifting to create something beautiful. However, instead of operating interdependently, they operated selfishly. Chuck Swindoll notes, the Corinthians gathered not to perform a harmonious symphony, but to outperform one another and argue about which instrument was the best. They showed up to show off. Church, there's no room for show-offs in the body of Christ. In fact, anyone who shows up to show off isn't being controlled by the Spirit, they're being controlled by themselves, which is detrimental to the well-being of the church body and to themselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. In other words, don't extinguish the Holy Spirit's fire in your life. When we ignore or toss aside or, like the Corinthian believers, abuse our spiritual gifts, it hinders the work of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and in the life of the church. However, when we selflessly embrace our spiritual gifts and follow the Holy Spirit's direction and control, then we serve as unifying agents within the church and we make God look good in the process. And this leads us to the fourth reality. Spiritual gifts are given at God's will, at God's will. Look at verses 8 through 11. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the workings of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As he wills. This past summer, my daughter got a job, first job at Manning's Ice Cream. So we've been busy this summer. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> not good. But one of, the, one of the things that I love about Uh, Manning's is their wide range of ice cream flavors. You see, unlike many ice cream shops that only offer chocolate, vanilla, or twist, which is so boring, right? Manning's offers a wide range of options, from Charlie Brownie, which is my personal favorite, by the way, to Cotton Candy, to Apple Crisp, and everything in between. In other words, there's a little something for everyone. It's not very often that you're going to leave Manning's an unhappy customer. Y'all want ice cream now, don't you? (laughs) Well, the same is true with spiritual gifts. You see, God has given the church a wide range of gifts to be used for mutual encouragement and edification. However, the key difference between the spiritual gifts and Manning's is that we don't get to choose which one we receive. That's God's business. Paul said that the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. Listen because uh, we're going to get more into this next week. Our job isn't to seek after a certain gift, nor is it to complain that we don't have a certain gift. Our job is to carefully identify what God has given to us, gratefully embrace what he's given to us, and then joyfully exercise what he's given to us. And in doing so, the whole church leaves happy. One of the issues in Corinth was the comparison game. They got into the comparison game. Believers were jealous over other believers' spiritual gifts. They wanted what that guy had, and that guy wanted what that guy had, and so on and so forth. Believers were jealous over other believers' gifting. And instead of embracing what they had, they were envious over what they didn't have. Church, listen, we must remember that when it comes to the distribution of spiritual gifts, Listen to me, listen closely, because if, if the Corinthian believers struggle with it, and I'm sure many of you struggle with it as well, I've even been there, right? We all kind of struggle with this from time to time. We need to, we need to recognize this. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. And so if you're struggling with your gifting, um, it's not because God made a mistake, right? God does not make mistakes. God gives you The best possible gift or gifts because the reality is we probably all have more than one gift. But God gives you the best possible gift that he can give to you to accomplish his eternal purposes in you. It's painfully specific for you is what I'm trying to say. I've heard it said that not only is every believer gifted, but every believer is perfectly gifted. And so therefore, instead of lamenting over what we don't have... We should latch on to what we do have, recognizing that it's God's best for us. And and you just be the best at whatever God gifted you in. That's the attitude we should have. Now, even though Paul's list of gifts to the Corinthians is quite extensive, it's not exhaustive. There's a number of other passages in Scripture that reveal even more gifts that are not mentioned here. Look at Romans 12. These will be on the screen. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians four eleven through 12 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, And each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, church, um, in Scripture, in all in Scripture, there's at least, at least, 19 different spiritual gifts. And I'm going to go over every single one of them, spending 20 minutes on each, right here, right now, so you guys can really get a... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay, it's, it, This is worth... This study is... is I mean, you can't, you can't do it justice in like a, a little bit of time here. But here's the reality. There's, there's at least 19 spiritual gifts, right? And what, what further complicates it is among these 19 gifts, some of them, in particular what we call the sign gifts, like tongues and healing and miracles, They're understood, and they're applied differently depending on a person's Christian Christian tradition. Okay, there's different viewpoints on it. Which means determining your spiritual gift or gifts is going to take some work on your part. It's going to take a little bit of work. However, the work isn't meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a blessing. meant to be a blessing. You know, a few years ago, I gave my son a mystery tackle box as a Christmas gift. Big waste of money, don't ever buy one. But anyway, (laughs) the mystery is you get a bunch of garbage. Anyway, but um, basically the concept of the mystery tackle box is that the box is filled with a variety, it should be filled with a variety of useful fishing lures, right? And part of the fun is that you don't know what you've got until you've opened it up. So it's the mystery behind it. Well, church, the same is true with spiritual gifts. God doesn't want our spiritual gifts to remain a mystery. He wants us to enjoy the process of opening up the box and then enjoy using the gifts that he's given to us because unlike those fishing lures, his gifts actually work. And So what I want to do is I want to give you four practical ways that you can open up the box this morning. Four practical steps that will aid you in determining your spiritual gifting. Does that sound like a plan? Can we do that? So here they are. Number one, pursue your relationship with God. You want to determine your gift? You have to pursue your relationship with God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Church, one of the biggest reasons, I'm telling you, one of the biggest reasons why believers struggle determining their spiritual gift is a lack of knowledge. And so if you want to know the ways of God, and if you want to be involved with the ways of God, then you got to continually grow deeper in your relationship with God. And so this happens primarily by spending regular time in God's Word and in prayer. Two most important things you could do, God's Word and prayer. The more time you spend in God's Word, the more you're going to know who God is, and the more you're going to know what gifts are available to you. And the more time you spend in prayer, the more God is going to reveal how he's gifted you and how you can join in in his work. Jesus said in John sixteen thirteen, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Friends, since the Holy Spirit is like the one who gives us our spiritual gifts, we can trust him to show us, to guide us into the truth of what, what he's given to us. But again, this won't happen if we don't invest in our relationship with God. So that's number one. Number two, ask other mature believers. Ask other mature believers. I, I, I want to emphasize mature believers because they're going to have more knowledge, right? And they're going to have a little bit more better discernment. Second Timothy 1.6, Paul wrote, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, the Apostle Paul recognized that God gave his son in the faith, Timothy, certain spiritual gifts that qualified him for ministry. And he affirmed this by the laying on of his hands. Well, in the same way, you can seek affirmation of your gifts by asking other mature believers. It's kind of like the re- one of the main reasons why I wanted to go through ordination. I wanted to sit with guys that were scarier than me and smarter than me, biblically, and I, and I needed uh, other people to affirm whether or not I'm even called to this in the first place, right? Well, similar, you could ask mature believers, like, hey, what do you see in me? When you look at me, do you, what spiritual gifts do you see in me? Would you affirm, like, this is what I'm thinking, would you affirm I'm going in the right direction, or, or, or maybe not? See what they say. And, and, and whatever it is they say, find ways to discover if what they said is actually true of you. And if you determine that it is, then Paul says, fan into flame that gift. In other words, let's go, keep it going. Use your gift to be a blessing to the church. Number three, Practical. Serve somewhere. Just serve somewhere. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, there are some believers, I'm telling you, they're so up in arms about what they should be doing for the Lord that they're not doing anything at all. And some believers spend 30 years, I'm just waiting on God, waiting on God to show me. Listen, if if you are actively pursuing your relationship with God, and you're still unsure of your spiritual gift, instead of doing nothing, my my practical encouragement is try doing something, anything. Because I'll tell you what, you're going to learn pretty quickly whether or not you're cut out for the job. Sometimes discovering your spiritual gift is just a matter of trial and error. But serving God somewhere is always better than serving God nowhere. So prayerfully consider, like, even if you're like, God, I don't even know if I should be doing this, but I'm going to hop in and do it anyway and see how you lead. It's an act of trust in God, and he will be faithful to reveal to you um, the truth. And last, test yourself. Test yourself. Test yourself. Spiritual gifts tests are a great tool that can help a person discover their spiritual strengths and tendencies. However, I want to provide this word of caution to you. A spiritual gifts test should not be taken in replacement of pursuing your relationship with the Lord or asking other mature believers or serving within the church. However, if taken in addition to these things, a spiritual gifts test can be a helpful tool in understanding how God has wired you In fact, there's a great website called spiritualgiftstest.com. I have it on the screen. I believe there's a link to it on our uh, church website as well that allows you to sign up for free, uh, answer a series of questions that are rooted in Scripture, and then provides you with the results. And so if you're curious to learn just maybe a little bit more about your spiritual self, I'd recommend taking one of these tests. Why not? Certainly can't hurt. And so, church, all this to say, determining your spiritual gift will take a little bit of work on your part, but the results are well worth the effort. And so as I come to a close, I wanna give you one last word of encouragement. Be a contributing member of the band. Be a contributing member of the band. In other words, don't be the reason why the band breaks up or has dissension or division or problems. Instead, be the reason why the band is built up. Be part of the reason why the church is able to make something harmonious and beautiful. Paul said it best in 1 Timothy 4.14. He said, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And so let me encourage you to do everything you can to obey this command. Let me encourage you to identify and embrace and exercise your spiritual gifting. Because in doing so, the church will be blessed and God will be Glorified, Amen? Now we spent, obviously, a good portion of our time kind of doing a, a flyover of spiritual gifts this morning and, and discussing the receiving of your spiritual gift, which is important, church. However, I, I'd like to close our time by explaining how you can receive the most important gift at all, of all, the gift of eternal life. Because if you don't have this gift, if you don't have the gift of eternal life, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. You see, the Bible teaches that God made us to be with him, to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. But our sin separates us from him. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge the separation on our own. In other words, our good works are not going to make the cut. No matter how much good we do, it's still not going to be good enough in the eyes of God. Apart from a Savior, we are dead in our sins and we are without hope. And when we die, we will go to a place of eternal separation from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is that 2,000 years ago, God is great love for you. Became a man in Jesus and died on the cross. Taking the punishment of your sins upon himself. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And in doing so, he provided the way to receive forgiveness for your sins. Be saved and receive eternal Life. Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, if you want to receive the forgiveness of your sins, if you want to be assured of your salvation and receive the gift of eternal life, then you must admit that you are a sinner before God and repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Trust in him and him alone to save your soul. It's an act of faith. You come to faith in Jesus. You receive that free gift by faith, not by works, by faith. And at the moment of belief, you will receive the gift of eternal life. And if that's a decision that you'd like to make today, you can do so right now in the quietness of your seat before you even leave here by simply praying to God and and, and asking him to save you. And all I ask is that if you've decided to trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time today, if you were impacted by, by the baptisms or by the message or by the music or whatever it is, but if you uh, decided to trust Jesus for the very first time today, just let us know. Put on your Connect card, even as you're walking out of here, just so we know so that we can be in touch with you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And of course, if, if you have any questions about what it means to receive Jesus at all, come talk to me or one of the other pastors. And so at this time, I'd like to invite the praise team to come forward, and as they're Coming forward, let me close us out in prayer. Lord God, I want to thank you for the blessings of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us, at your will, gifts to be used for your glory. God, help us to not grow weary or tired or apathetic in pursuing our gifts and using them for your glory. God, help us to not fall into the same sin patterns that Corinth did abusing our spiritual gifts, or misusing them, or not even using them at all. Lord, help us all to be contributing members of your church body so that people can look and say, wow, I see Jesus there. All for your glory and fame, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.